This is the marketing podcast for financial advisors with Claire Aiken. Claire is the founder of Indigo Marketing Agency, a full-service marketing firm tailored specifically to financial advisors. She delivers complete proven marketing strategies with a minimum investment of your time. And now, here's Claire. Great. Thanks so much for joining me for the Marketing Podcast for Financial Advisors. And today's guest I'm really excited about is Ron Carson of Carson Group. Now, Ron has been one of my mentors and one of my heroes for years in this industry. He's really, um, you know, one of the big players in the industry, one of the most knowledgeable people, and he's done so much for advisors out there. Of course, he's an advisor himself, running his firm with almost $10 billion assets under management, 124 locations. But he's also a New York Times bestselling author with three books, Tested in the Trenches, Avalanche, and my personal favorite, The Sustainable Edge, which I really highly recommend to any advisors out there. It's like Tony Robbins meets uh, you know, business management for financial advisors. It's an incredible read, so I recommend picking that up on Amazon. He also created a coaching platform for financial advisors, and he's coached hundreds of advisors to you know, maximize their potential. He also developed a marketing platform specifically for advisors, and he's one of only two independent financial advisors in the Barron's Hall of Fame. So I just wanted to take a moment to welcome Ron to the show today. Claire, hey, thank you. You're so sweet. I mean, you're, um, I, you know, we've known each other for quite a while, and uh, uh, you do a lot for our profession, and really honored that you invited me on your podcast today. Great. Awesome. And I, I just want to start out asking, you know, personally, how is life going? What are you excited about? What are you most looking forward to personally in your life? So, you know, I was recently doing, I did a um, hundred mile uh, mountain bike ride in Moab with some of my new partners in Salt Lake City. And they're asking about my travel schedule. And I was talking about the next 11 cities I think I was going to be in before home. And he goes, is it work or is it play? And I said, I don't know, you decide because I can't really distinguish them anymore because I love I love what I do. So when you say personally, um, I've got a new grandson, Carson, who's a year old, who's just absolutely the light of my life, um, but also personally working on our ecosystem. I and mean, we at Carson are already out to the fourth quarter of two, uh, 2020 into the first quarter of 2021 on deliverables, on value add, we call it value beyond a doubt, you know, for our um, value proposition and our partners. And that gets me, that's what gets me up out of bed and super excited every day. That's awesome. Congratulations on your grandson. That's so much fun. So talk to us a little about where you think the biggest opportunities or the biggest, um, you know, new things are happening in our industry and what, you know, what are you looking forward to in our industry and for advisors out there? So I think we're at a real um, turning point, Claire, is, for, let me take, take a step back. Have you seen the, um, the most recent um, Cerulean numbers on, on advisor growth by asset, asset category? I don't think I've seen those numbers. It, it, is, it is so telling, and I'll, I'll just I'll paraphrase it, and you, you know anybody out there can go get the, the copy of this, but they... And these numbers are not up for debate, but I think it plays into your topic today on acquisition because what they did is they looked at ADVs from five years ago and then looked at the AUM change to the end of 18. And the numbers directionally, I didn't, didn't surprise me 
Um, but the, the gap shocked me. And at the far end of one extreme, they had firms that were 10 million and below in AUM. And then at the other extreme, they had firms that were 5 billion and above. And I had always heard that, and oh, by the way, the same over that same five-year period, the market grew 10.68%. So that's a kager for the S&P 500. And we've always heard, oh, it's easy to grow. If you have 10 million in AUM and you go to 20 million, that's easy because that's 100% gain. And to go from 5 billion to 10 billion is, is harder. Wouldn't you think that would be conventional wisdom, Claire? Right, yeah. Right. The numbers, the flow as you go, went up in size. Um, the 10 million and under were going backwards quickly. In true NNA, when you stripped out market growth, they were contracting quite a bit every year. And it wasn't until you got to a billion firm that you're able to not grow but not go back when you strip market growth away you're basically staying even and the five billion above were growing super fast growing wow uh, i know it it is and like i said these if someone had just said oh directionally here's what's going on i would have said oh that doesn't sound possible that there's that big a difference but it's what's going on today and you know you ask what should advisors be looking for really for a strong partner, because I think you're at this, this point where you have to decide, am I gonna be disrupted or am I gonna be part of the disruption? And I really believe it's that. I know there's advisors that take issue with this, um, but there are several things going on. I think the NNA tail is a huge one. And the reason I think advisors are struggling today is they're asked to do so many things. I mean, we we started out as an advisor. I had a lady in yesterday, 96 years old. She's been a client of mine for 34 years. She gives me a hug. She tells me she loves me. She, she could never have had the life that they had without you know us doing what we do. And I get why advisors get in it. There's like it made my year, right? There's nothing that felt felt better. And I'm thinking when I started working with her and her husband, um, that was so simple. You know, I'd go in, I'd sit at the kitchen table, I'd give them basic advice, which for them was great advice. We did a financial plan, got their state documents done. Pretty simple, you know, charge them a traditional fee um, and use product and and they're they're very happy. Fast forward to today is the we have a, a very informed buying public that We'll pay a fee, and I hate the term fee. Let's call it an investment because no one's paying an advisor 1% to make 1% a year less. They're making an investment in their future. They want to see value beyond a doubt. So when I say what's exciting out there is this turning point, there is massive opportunity, but there's also a lot of risk. The opportunity is this. We have 111,000 advisors that many of them do not have, an, most of them do not have a succession plan. And, and I hear people that say they do, and we've done 124 deals, and we get into them, and they really don't. They don't have one that would be sustainable or their clients would stick around. Um, so you're going to have a massive change in the marketplace with, with advisors. Clients are going to be in play because they don't have an executable succession plan. Combine that with the fact that some of the coolest, newest technologies are allowing us 
to add value beyond a doubt, whether it's getting into the banking business and disintermediating you know, poor cash that banks are providing, legal document production, um, financial cognitive testing for clients. Uh, one we're rolling out next week in Chicago at our Excel meeting is the VOR, value of the relationship, where we can actually monetize that. And so back to your original question, the opportunity for advisors that have the energy to actually want to be part of, of adding that kind of value, there are the 65% of Americans still do, still do not trust financial services. And it's not that they don't trust you that you're going to steal their money. They don't trust that, am I getting a return on the investment that, that we're making? Um, and the holy grail that I think this technology, we just saw yesterday some AI that was demoed to my team that just blew our mind. And, and you know, imagine a world where we operate, I call it the three dimensions of trust. The third dimension is we anticipate a client's need before they even know they have it. We're doing things well out ahead. We're also experience-based behavior where we understand what they're doing, when they're logging on, what they're looking at, what they're reading, so we can anticipate their needs. So the opportunity to really move the needle in people's lives has never been greater, and for them to be able to measure that. And that's why those big firms are growing, because they're able to build out that kind of infrastructure. Right. That's Yeah, that's incredible. And I get, you know, one of the reasons I had you on the show today is I have so many advisors asking me, you know, what should I be thinking about when it comes to selling my firm? You know, my own, my own dad is 70 years old and he thinks he's going to work forever, but he realizes he has to protect his clients and he has to protect his family if something happens to him. So he needs a plan in place that's going to take care of these people who are, you know, his, his friends, people he's been serving for decades. And so to come to an advisor and say, you know, you, you really have to have a plan in place for your clients. But what if that could be a plan that could provide better service, better value to, you know, protect them even more than you're already doing? Then it starts to sound compelling. And so um, we just want to get started talking a little bit about, you know, what are you seeing out there? What's the selling landscape? What should advisors really know when they're getting started about, um, you know, thinking about selling their firms? Yeah, and I, I'll just share a real life story just happened. I had a lady that um, came, she called me, she goes, my husband died unexpectedly. I thought he had a succession plan. And I'm telling you, the assets all left so fast and it was a billion dollars of AUM, advisory assets, just gone. We had an advisor in our coaching group, killed in a hang gliding accident, thought he had a succession plan, had a wife and two kids, nothing left. The people were there, took the assets or the clients left, just left. And so back to advisors, the landscape is um, there are there. I mean, there's a real I keep hearing that we go to a conference. How many of you want to be buyers and 95 percent of the hands go up? How many of you sellers? Almost none. But the big question is how many people have the ability to, to literally be a buyer? And if you're selling your firm, I would prioritize what's most important to you. Is it terms? Is it optimizing price? Is it giving you optionality for the future? Like, can you stick around as long as you want, be a part of, of the future? Is it providing a smooth transition to the, to the next generation? Um, and there are not nearly enough deals. What I would say is if you made a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm 100, 200, 300 million. I just don't have the energy. I think it's smart to sell now because these trends, you know, you've got the market up, 
the market goes down and you're not truly growing organically, then every day that goes by that you're not growing organically, your firm is, is going to become worth less and that'll be exposed overnight um, in a bear market. And I think there'll be a lot of shifting of relationships in that. And so start looking for, you know, make the list of, of what's, what's really important. There's plenty of buyers out there. Um, and I would look for, you know, buyers that are well capitalized. So, um, and, and, you know, can you combine, especially if you're going to stick around, you know, is there equity that you maybe would rather have so you can, you can take some cash, take some equity and be a part, you know, of the, of the future growth. We just announced yesterday, this was a perfect setup, a $575 million firm in Indianapolis, um, which is going to take on the, the brand, which, you know, uh, we have Carson, but they needed succession, but they also really wanted to start growing again. Even at that level, you know, they have been truly flatlined for the last several years. So I think you, you need to make a list, Claire, of what's important to you, and then that'll start to sort out, you know, who the potential partners could be. Um, and if you decide, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to sell, and I want to just I want to plug in and be part of something then I think that's a separate you know path and decision making process that you that you go path that you would uh, go down sure absolutely yeah so let's talk about kind of the elephant in the room that everybody wants to know but is sort of afraid to ask of you know what kind of valuations are you seeing this this I get asked this all the time Claire and I tell people because they want to when they're looking to join our partnership, they want to know up front what's it what's it worth, and um, your growth rate is really your organic growth rate is going to be a big factor in in price. Um, and then I'll tell I'll answer your question. The other is is there any concentration risk? What's the age of the client? There's basically a you know present value um, of all the cash flows that will be coming in what's the next generation that's actually there? Is it in place or does it have to be grown and imported from somewhere? And, and by the way, I, you know, I'll tell some, I can pay any amount for a firm if they let me dictate terms. Um, and mm -hmm. you, terms are way more than price, but no one ever says, hey, what are the terms out there? I never get asked that question. I always get asked, what are the, <laughs> what's, the, what's the price? And the price is this. I have seen deals, um, both from my ARIA group, I'm, I'm part of two groups that are basically M&A groups in our own deals. And then we also brought on um, Jason Carver, who heads up our M&A group. Uh, he came over from Focus. So he's seen thousands of deals. They range anywhere between two and 21 times earnings. Wow. Think of that range. It, it's massive. And there's so many factors that go into it. So anybody, I mean, I could give somebody an off the cuff, hey, it's 2.2 times your reoccurring, you know, AU advisory AUM, but it could go a lot higher. It could go a lot lower. You know, we're looking at a firm right now um, that is that is growing so fast organically through their lead generation system that they need us to provide advisors to them. And so, you know, that's a whole other, so we automatically know we do an acquisition, they've got this recipe for generating lots of leads. Um, 
we're gonna we, we can afford to pay more for that uh, because we're gonna be able to plug in advisors that will dramatically increase that AUM over a short period of time. So those are all the factors that go into it when when you're um, you're evaluating you know the price. So there's a massive. The first question I would ask is what kind of terms do you want? And then you can start to back in. I sold a third of my firm to a private equity firm. I took a lot less consciously because I wanted 100% control and I didn't want anybody you know, really breathing down my neck about you know, how, I, how I wanted to grow and develop my firm. So it was a trade-off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah, I think you know, a lot of advisors just want to kind of do that calculation and ask themselves, you know, can I uh, get financial freedom if I were to sell my firm today and, you know, answer that question, yes or no, and either, you know, get better so they can get there or, um, you know, maybe keep working forever. So, <laughs> so what are some of the mistakes that you see advisors, you know, when they, they start doing these transactions, when they, you know, are moving along this pipeline, what are some of the big mistakes you're seeing? Yeah. And I can give these from mine. I've made so many mistakes in this is um, get, not getting the cultural fit right. And I cannot over, I cannot stress the importance of this enough. And I've always said, you know, I have a whole talk, culture eats strategy for lunch. And you're going to have the best strategy in the world. And if you get, if you can't get people to buy in, be excited, um, have core values that, that they, they live by, the organization lives by, it doesn't matter. So getting, getting, um, getting the uh, the culture right so spend enough time on both places you know is this really going to work and don't you know always think of Monday morning so it's exciting to do a deal it's exciting to talk about a deal um, but then Monday morning rolls around the deal's done just imagine how you're gonna feel Are you super excited or once the euphoria of the deal wears off do you have remorse you know that oh okay I shouldn't have sold or I shouldn't have merged or you know, visualize that, but um, definitely, definitely, definitely get the culture right. The second thing I would say is, it's like, um, it's you go into it, think of it as a prenuptial, you never plan on getting divorced, but spell everything out. If things don't go well, how would you unwind a deal? Three, really spend time detailing. The more detail you can be well before you get to, um, a letter of intent and by the way if you put a lot of time into the letter of intent it allow the deal to actually have a much higher success of closing where there's not a lot of detail in the letter of tent, intent um, you know the chances of actually consummating the deal you'll go down go down dramatically I also see geographical reach um, and Tiburgeon has some great stats on this where he said, if you're number one or number two in your market, you automatically have a gravity pull of clients. And I believe that's true. Um, or if you can be, try to dominate your area and don't get geographically spread thin. That's another mistake I made. My very first deal I did um, was in uh, San Rafael, the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, it's taken a lot of importing our people but it's a long distance and you know now we've got it's working fine but when it was just you know Carson and Omaha and our first deal was in San Francisco uh, it was it was it would have been smarter to do my first deal right here in Omaha right yeah they say most 
acquisitions are within 90 miles of where you are right now. So it's smart to stay local. Yes. And when you're, you know, I want to come back to, you're going into this, what are, what's, what's perfection look like? The things that you want out of it for you, for your family, for your stakeholders. And this is one of those where be, just be honest with yourself. If you, if you say, and you don't have to show it to anybody, uh, but if, hey, if number one thing is maximizing how you do, just be honest with yourself because that'll, that'll drive, that'll make a difference on how the deal is structured and, and who you're partner with. If the most important thing is taking care of your clients, it's going to be a different partner. If the most important thing is taking care of your internal stakeholders, um, it might be a third partner. So I think you've got to really be clear on what it is that you want to do. Um, I can tell you without a doubt, my 124 offices, I would trust every one of them with my clients, with my family's money in, in, without, with, in the event I died because they all did deals based on the value proposition, taking care of internal stakeholders and clients first, not, not getting the highest price, but getting the highest value. We've walked away from a lot of deals where it was just about a money grab, and that's culturally not where we're going or the, or the partners we're mm -hmm. trying to attract. So I think getting that right up front, Claire, it will save you a lot of heartache in the future. That's great. That's fantastic. So what about advisors you know, that aren't quite there yet? Maybe they're five years out. Maybe they're 10 years out. What are the things they should be thinking about preparing for as they um, you know, come to terms with the fact that they're not going to work forever? Should it be marketing? Should it be client service? Should it be you know, growing as fast as they can? What are your recommendations for those folks? There's a lot there. So I would say, um, a first an exercise I went through, and I recommend everybody go through this, is <clears throat> do an organizational chart of what your perfect business looks like. Assume you're going to stay in the business, you want to grow, and you've got a five or 10-year uh, time horizon. Go through and say, hey, if I were to have the perfect business, here's the, here's the services I want to offer, here's what it would look like, um, and, and here's where I would fit in the org chart. And even if it's just you, and then you write your name in every single box, right? Um, and it helps you start attracting uh, really good stakeholders that share your vision. And even I would say higher ahead of the growth because you'll grow into them much faster if you have these stakeholders actually on your team. If you can afford it, hire as many as you can afford because there's never been a better time to invest in your business. Also, have a very clear career path for how they can possibly earn equity, buy into the firm, you know, what's there, what do they need to do to economically you know, move up uh, and, and have success. Um, and, and, and who are your partners going to be? You cannot do it alone. Are you going to partner with um, a Fidelity, a TD, an LPL, Commonwealth, Raymond James, Carson, you know, Focus, Hightower? Um, there, there are a lot of different options out there for, for partnering, uh, but it's going to be driven by, you know, what the value proposition and you want to offer. And then, you know, the final decision is, do I really, do I want to do it on my own? Or do I want to try to you know, plug in and and because you would have different kinds of partners. Some partners are plug and play and others, um, Dynasty does this where they'll just help you go out and, and build the pieces. You know, the custodians here, the record keepers here, trading is here. Uh, but but, but not, ha not being intentional about it, Claire, you will not maximize your future value. And 
separate yourself so you can get away from the whirlwind and actually be thinking about, about your business. But make no mistake about it, there has never been a better time to prepare for all these clients that are gonna be in play um, and it's gonna be huge. And I, I, the analogy I use, you know, build the arc right now, you know, we're building lots of them. We're putting our energies, actually not even into growing, we're growing fast, but our energies are going into, what's this ecosystem look like? I love what Jeff Bezos said. He was a, there's a great interview. It's called the Washington Economic Forum. It was October of last year. I've watched it uh, three times now and I pick something new out of it every time. But he said someone congratulated him on a fantastic quarter. And he thought to himself, you know, that quarter was baked three years ago. And it totally resonated with me because things that we're delivering now, we started on two, three, four years ago. And things we'll be delivering in 2021, we're working on today. And so it does take a massive you know, commitment to, to have planning and thinking about what that looks like. That's great. Yeah, fantastic advice. So you've given us so much to work with here today. Um, one last question, you know, if you were meeting with an advisor who knows they have to start this process, knows they have to start looking for the solution, what is the one recommendation or the one piece of advice you could give to that advisor? I, this is going to sell really self-serving, but um, I would do two things. One, I would plug into two conferences. I think Barron's and our conference, we'll have 1,200 people next week. We have very um, little sponsorship stuff and immerse yourself into what the next generation of value proposition looks like. Barron's is fantastic as well for this. Um, and there's lots of other good conferences out there, but I mean, as far as what's coming down the road, and the other is commit six months and go do deep due diligence. Go out there, even if you're not gonna, you, you have zero desire to join somebody, understand what your competition is and what's coming at you. And you may end up doing a 180, going into it just to learn. And you may end up finding someone you may wanna partner with, but I would, you know, I'd make a list of, okay, what do I want? Who could fulfill this? And take the time, to, you know, slow down so you can speed up. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Ron. And I'm going to uh, link to the Excel conference below. I've been to every conference in this industry, and that's one of the very best ones. And so for all the advisors out there that want to attend, you can go to the show notes, click there to learn more. So thanks so much, Ron, for being on the show. You've given us a lot of great things to think about. We appreciate it. And best of luck to you and your future. Thank you so much, Claire. If you'd like any resources from today's episode or from other episodes, go to indigomarketingagency.com slash remember. It's hard to forget that address, indigomarketingagency.com slash remember. 